This is Amber, and you're listening to Amber on Podcast. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to episode number eight of Amber on Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am excited, excited, excited to talk to you about this subject matter. You know, when I made this podcast, well, when I decided to make this podcast, I had a few messages that were really, really important to me to get out and things that I wanted to discuss. And they happen to be also things that friends and listeners have asked me to discuss. I've had several people reach out and ask me specifically to give them advice or people that I'm coaching need uh, some help, you know, with their businesses the personal matters that involve this specific subject matter. So it's something that I'm constantly discussing and something that I'm so thrilled to talk to you about today. So let's start the show. Freak. Economics. Freakonomics is a podcast that's hosted by Stephen Dubner. I believe it's an NPR show or WG, something like this. I originally heard it on NPR, which you guys know by now is my favorite of all time. And it's hosted by an economist, and his name is Stephen Dubner. Now, if Freakonomics sounds like a weird word to you and you aren't familiar with it, or if economist isn't something that you are familiar with either, don't fret. And please don't be intimidated by the subject matter or the, this podcast, because it sounds a lot more complicated than it is. An economist is someone who who simply just relates commerce and business to people and how the effects, you know, sociologically, psychologically, how people are influenced and affected by businesses and the way that businesses are run around the world and how it impacts our everyday life, which we are the only ones affecting any of the money moving around in this world. So ultimately, it is at our hands that we're able to construct or deconstruct or destruct, rather, the, well, all three, just construct, deconstruct, and construct, the, (laughs) whatever that was, (laughs) all of the different ways in which money has moved around and why and how it's affecting those around us. And that, of course, you know, incites policy change and reform and um, civil civil unions and civil rights and all these different things that have to do with people and the way that they go about ensuring that, well, in this country, our constitutional rights and things of that nature are upheld. So it affects everyone. Now, Freakonomics is a podcast specifically about this subject matter. And some of them, I will be honest, when I first started listening to this podcast, I started to get a little bit turned off because some of them are a little bit more complex than what I'm interested or about policy I'm not interested but in this case we have great subject matter and the subject matter is the glass cliff now, if you haven't heard of the glass cliff, don't fret because the glass cliff is a phrase that's cousin to the glass ceiling, which most of us have heard about. The idea that when women reach a certain level at their career or any level in their career, rather, there is a glass ceiling in which they will not lo- no longer be able to get past. They will not be able to go forward. The idea being that they won't be able to earn as much. They may not attain such a high level, but there's definitely a barrier in place between them and equal treatment, that of uh, the, their male counterparts. And that's where the phrase came from. Now, today we have a different phrase and it's called the glass cliff. And they talk about the glass cliff on this episode of Freakonomics. I'll link that in the show notes, but they talk about the glass cliff in this episode of Freakonomics and its effect on our society, our culture, our money, our jobs, our opportunity in this country and across the world. So what does the glass cliff mean? The glass cliff is the idea that when a woman is placed into a leadership role at a major company and she is placed as a manager, any kind of leadership, leadership, directorship, 
role. She is most often placed at this level, on the glass cliff, right at the time where a company is struggling, where they have no other opportunities, where they're really grasping for straws, they're looking for somebody to come in and essentially save the day. They're more likely than not to hire a female in order to come in and rectify, to fix, to engage whatever needs to be done in the company. They need a woman, or they select rather, a woman in order to come in and fix all of these problems. They're more likely to select a woman or any person of color was what the research found. In addition to that research, we also have the research that found the number of female CEOs at Fortune 500 companies. So they took Fortune 500 companies, all of the top 500, and determined how many women were in as a CEO at these companies, were working and operating as a CEO. And it turns out that that number is a staggering 5.4%. So let's go ahead and round that to what it is. It's 5% of women sit as a CEO at Fortune 500 companies. Now, before we go any further, I want to sit with that for a moment and just really consider that number. 5% people. That means that if you have a daughter, a wife, a mother, you can let her know that she has a 5% chance of being a CEO, of leading a major company. I find that to be so abysmal and disheartening. And that's why I'm so excited to share with you today exactly what this means, exactly what we can do about it, exactly how it's affecting our everyday. Because I'm not one to bring up any kind of problem without a solution. That you can definitely count on me for. So shall we proceed? Now, you might have guessed by now that I have some personal relationship with this subject matter and that the reason I'm excited about it is because I have a story of my own. And in that case, you would be very, very correct. I am so excited to share this information with you guys because it was such a huge part, a huge part of my professional career, my experience as a leader of a major company, as someone who was hired at a director level to come in and fix a company, fix a department, fix an area that had been so sorely damaged. And let me say that I cannot be more thrilled about the opportunity. I was over the moon, so excited to do exactly what I knew I was capable of doing. This company didn't have any processes in place. Their margins were all out of whack. They weren't profitable and had all these clients and expectations to meet. And I knew exactly how to run a business the right way because I worked for a publicly traded company. And I was so excited to be able to implement everything that I learned at this company because they had none of this knowledge. I knew I was coming in as an expert to fix these problems and it felt great. The only way that I like to work is when I feel like I'm challenged and I'm solving problems. And I was just beyond thrilled to come in and do what I perceived as a a save the day sort of move and to really help people to get to know exactly what their pain points were and to figure out what good solutions we could come up with so that we can make sure that everyone was happy and the company was profitable. Now, let's reverse the order of those because my real mission and my real job was to make the company more profitable. Making people happy wasn't something that I had high on the priority list, but that's a different podcast. Here I am ready to seize the day. I'm so excited. I'm dressed in my Dillard's sheath dress and I uh, was just so excited. I shout out to Dillard's. I worked at Dillard's before I went to this company and so I had a myriad of dresses and just all this really great fashionable work clothes because I'd been working in the retail in the fashion industry for so long that I had collected them. That's really the only wardrobe that I had was from working retail and then, you know, working for Dillard's and going to buyers meetings and and working in New York. So it was a lot of, you know, my best attempt at Devil Wears Prada on a budget sort of scenario. I was always trying to look really fresh and clean and polished and very much my presentation was important to me because in the fashion industry, I mean, that's the subject matter we're talking about. I was really, really passionate about it. So anyway, all that to say, I get there day one in my sheath dress and I'm just so excited to solve these problems and get to work. Well, that's not what happened at all. 
Not even a little bit. I was quickly asked to leave because my dress was inappropriate. And after that, over the next year, I spent, gosh, I would say one to two to five meetings in HR each week with people, various people with different complaints about my wardrobe or about something that I had said or about uh, where I parked my car or what time I came in or what time I left or where I went to lunch and who I went to lunch with. It was very, very apparent that every single move that I made in that building working for that company was on someone's radar and they were just tallying up all the negative things that they saw about me and going to the HR department and complaining about all of them. Now this broke me the fuck down. As you can imagine, I was already excited to solve problems and work with everybody at this company and expected everybody to be on the same page. That was naive and I can see that now because nobody comes into any company with all these changes in mind as a new boss, especially as a female boss, and gets a warm reception. That's just something that has never happened as far as I've, as far as I'm concerned in the history of all my, mankind, which is why, my friends, dear listeners, we have much work to do. So what happened instead is that I was uh, not met with a warm welcome. Everyone definitely hated me there for a very, very, very long time. And I was instructed to, you know, do everything that I could in order to make friends and, and get along with everybody because ultimately that was the only way I was going to get them to work with me and to be engaged in the job that I was trying to accomplish. And I'm not want to give up ever, 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 ever. And even with this added this added complication of having, you know, nobody wanting to be on my team, essentially, I didn't want to give up. I knew that that was something indeed that I could solve for. So uh, I will say after many, many months and uh, hiring a really, really, really great angel person, baby makers, what I call her. She's one of my very, very dearest friends. Karia, I love you. She's an angel baby maker from heaven. And once she came to work with me, things got a lot easier because they were a lot able, they were more able to relate to her and she just made a lot more friends than I was ever capable of making. So this is not to say that my entire experience at this company was horrible, but it was very, very challenging. And I had, I was looking high and low for solutions. You know, I was talking to my girlfriends. Now, this wasn't the only battle I was fighting. I was trying to get the right salary. Um, I was trying to make friends. I was constantly, constantly being just brought into HR meetings and being asked to leave because of my clothes. And it was really, really hindering me from getting the job done. Now, I know a lot of you are wondering, you know, what was she wearing? Was she wearing something inappropriate? Absolutely not. I worked for years at Dillard's. I worked for years on the sales floor at major luxury department stores. I know 100% for as a fact that my wardrobe was not inappropriate. So back to the point here, it was really, really complicated and hard and difficult for me. And I didn't have any resources in order to answer any of these questions. And I didn't know why nobody told me that as a female, once you get to the top, once you get to a C-suite level, once you get to a VP level, once you get to director level, that everyone's going to hate you, that it's going to be really, really hard to do your job, and you need to know what you're walking into. So that's why we're going to talk about it here today. What is a glass cliff? What are you walking into? And what are the experiences that, are, that women, females, are having in leadership roles in this country? So why are women selected to be the problem solvers in these companies to begin with? Well, there are a couple of reasons. The research proves that, number one, men don't accept these roles. Men don't want these roles because they don't have to accept these roles. They can accept a leadership position at a different company. They have a lot more opportunity at their fingertips. So why take on something that's broken? By the time they think of a man, they've already, it's here to man, they've already thought of a woman. And therefore, the woman is interviewed is so excited to get the opportunity, like I was, like just, you know, stars bursting out of my eyeballs like ready to perform and do somersaults for these people. Women are so excited for the opportunity. Also, 
you're more likely, the studies have shown that companies are more likely to select a woman over a man when they just do, you know, the same, when all the parameters are the same and they have the same kind of candidate and they change their circumstances given uh, a company, the way a political race is run, if they, what, you know, who they want to sit on a board of a major concert they're attending. They did this study with anyone from a teenager to a 65-year-old person. And what they find is that the selection process, if all, if the company is doing well, then it's 50-50, men and women. They select either a man or a woman to be in charge. But if the situation that if the if the company is doing poorly or the concert is doing poorly, they select a woman because it's just stereotypical woman behavior to come in and to be nurturing, to be problem solving, to be a multitasker and to be able to solve this. Makes sense, right? Essentially, we just all want our mommies. Now, the trouble comes in when women aren't supported in these roles, when women are looked at differently than their male counterparts or if a man were in that position, and they're not treated fairly, and their expectations for them are much, much higher. All the research proves this. There are many, many leaders and many uh, Fortune 500 companies that have shared this exact same viewpoint. They know for a fact, because they are in the industry, because they are working in business, that women are treated considerably differently and and considered much more harshly than any any male ever. I happen to have a couple of stories that are direct examples of this experience. And I'll just give you one today. But it happened to be when I was, you know, at this company, I eventually got to the point where I was working very, very close with the founder in order to restructure the company. And they needed to put processes in place and give people um, and allocate resources so that we knew exactly how much it was costing for people to do their job and what revenue, you know, what benefit the company was getting out of the jobs. So the performance, rather, the tasks. So what we decided uh, together as a company was which is a great move, and every company needs to make sure that they do this, is that they needed to have an org chart, an organizational chart, so that they know exactly who works where, for who, and what it is that they do. So in the time that they were trying to develop this org chart, they had a person in place whose job it was to go around and interview different members of the teams and find out exactly who did what and when. Now, as you can imagine, when you get a team together and everybody's talking about who does what and when, there are a lot of uh, discrepancies, let's so to speak, uh, among different team members. And so I happen to be in a meeting that was among different team members, and there were a lot of discrepancies, and it was a very contentious meeting. It was not going well. It was very heated. It was quite uncomfortable. At the end of the meeting, in order to lighten the mood, the woman who was running the meeting asked if she could get, or if I needed anything else to let her know. And I jokingly said, yeah, if you could get me a boyfriend and a coffee, that would be great. You know, just, I was trying to lighten the mood after the meeting that was so contentious. Well, flash forward a couple days later, I'm called into my my boss's office COO. And he says to me, Amber, I heard that you made this comment. I think that you made it as a joke, but this person did not believe that it was a funny joke. So can you please apologize to her? She came to her boss, who happened to have been the VP of of some department and uh, who later came to my boss. And so we had a two point system here instead of coming to me. And uh, she was very, very offended by this joke that I had made. Now, I think everyone knows that that's a lighthearted joke, but that's okay. That doesn't matter. Her feelings were hurt. So I went to her and I apologized. I said, I made a bad joke. This is not something that is funny. And I'm so sorry for taking your job lightly. I think that she thought that it was a perception that, you know, I was joking about her per function, I believe, was where the the hit came from. So I can definitely empathize with that. I understand. However, I also understand that if a man were to make a joke at the end of a meeting, nobody's going to go and complain about it and ask them to apologize for making said 
joke. I also happened to be in a review meeting at one point with my COO in which I was told that I should be noticed for my intelligence and not my cocktail attire. So I needn't dress up for work any longer. Another thing that I don't think any male would ever hear, you're never going to be called in in your review and they're going to say, you know what, Tom, we're just tired of you looking so damn dapper. Why don't you quit wearing those suits? God damn it. You know what I mean? So now that we're all on the same page, we know that women are not being treated fairly at all, especially when they get to these leadership positions. What does it mean? Is it getting better? What can we do about it? You know, this is really timely with the Women's International Day or National Women's Day, whatever it is. Every fucking day is Women's Day in my mind. And also along with the Me Too movement and everything. So I think that everything is sort of lining up in a place right now in the world where people can be more open to understanding this idea and exactly how difficult it is for women and exactly what it is we're facing. The same, same, same challenge and fights that we were facing decades ago, our mothers and our grandmothers were fighting for. We are now fighting for the same ones today. And I have to say something that I have said many, many times to girlfriends. I say, you know, imagine if you were uh, giving birth to a daughter today, to a little girl. What would you tell your little girl that you weren't told when you were growing up? And I know for a fact that I would have many, 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 many warnings to share. Many things that I was never told. Like I said, I was never told that it would be so challenging when I got to this leadership role. Not only that, but I also had no resources to turn to once I was there in that in that predicament. And it was very, very challenging for me. I was very, very confused. I questioned everything about myself. I'm over here like, am I confused? Am I dressing like a slut to work? And I very much wanted to still maintain myself and who I am. I've always said I address the way that I feel. I want to dress good because I feel good. And it makes me feel there are scientific studies that prove that Dressing up, putting on a little something nice for yourself makes you feel better. It's proven. I dress how I feel. It's very, very important to understand these ideas. And also to all my women out there, you know, we only have each other ultimately to fight this fight. It's up to us to stand up and demand that we're treated fairly. And in order to make those demands, we have to be practicing what we preach. And there's nothing that pains me more than a woman who isn't receptive to me. A woman who I know is looking at me and thinking that we aren't the same and in some way classifying myself as being worse or something about me and just is not a warm reception. I always make a point to go out of my way to greet the woman first when I'm meeting a group of people, for example, and not the man. I want to send a clear message to women that I am on your side. Women, I am on your side. I know what it's like to not be on their side, to have women that don't like you and to be attacked by these women. I guess we didn't get it from Mean Girls and you should definitely go rewatch that because it has a very, very important lesson. You know, it's a lot of girl-on-girl crime here. So women, you know, woman to woman, don't judge so harshly, not only yourselves, but the other women around you. And if you have a female boss or if you have a female who's strong and focused about her career, understand how difficult that role is and the challenges that she's facing and talk to her about that. And men too, talk to her about that. You know, I often say that if I hadn't started, you know, changing the the way that my career was going, I'm not sure that I would have had time for a relationship, a, a romantic relationship outside of my work because it was so daunting on me to try to perform the task of being a leader in that role. And it affected me all the time because it was so hard that I really couldn't see my way out of it. That's how much it affected. It affects people. Like it's incredibly daunting and it really, really tore me down and made me question myself, made me question if, it, if I was capable 
comfortable, if I was doing it right, what the reception was, why I was getting that reception, it was quite challenging. I can't stress that enough. So what do we do? Like I said, I don't like to present any problem without a solution. And we do have a solution um, because we have ourselves. And the studies have also shown, you know, when they ask the CEO, one of the CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, Carol Bartz is one of the, the people that they interviewed. And she's a former CEO of Yahoo and Autodesk prior to that. I'll link her bio on Wikipedia in the show notes, but she's very, very interesting and has a very interesting story. But what she and many of the other female and male CEOs and leaders across major you know, companies in the United States, what they say is that the pipeline is stuck, that there simply aren't enough. You know, there are lots of women that are at entry level positions, but by the time you get to mid-management, they start to wean off. You know, those become the childbearing years. And as higher you go, the more, the less there are. Their suggestion is that we need to be, as a society, more open and willing to support women in these roles. And when they have the childbearing years, allow that whole process and that that transformation of your life and of your schedule to really allow them to have more opportunity and and not count them out as a result of it, which is essentially what's happening. Or those people who have to take care of elderly parents, the same holds true. Unfortunately, you might you know you might think that the millennials and and Gen Xers are are changing the way that this is being done, but it's actually gotten worse. The research shows that we're even more traditional in our stereotypes, our gender stereotypes, and it's becoming even less equal than it's been in the past, which, again, is why it's so important, the Me Too movement, International Women's Day, just really understanding that women are going to battle each day. That's what I tell my friends. When I ask them the question, if you had a daughter, what would you tell her? I'd say, you're going to go to battle each day. As a woman, you're going to step outside into the world, and you're going to have to fight for everything you get. People are going to be looking at you and they're going to be harassing you and they're going to want to touch you. They're going to want to talk to you and you're going to have to know exactly what to do in all those circumstances, how to keep yourself safe from those that might attack you or hurt you and how to navigate the world with this cloak on of being a female. It's not easy. That's what I would say is that it's not easy. And I know that there's not a woman out there who would say that it is. You go to battle every single day as a female at the second you walk outside of your door. So that's what we can do as people, as a society. We can make a difference by acknowledging how challenging it is to be a female, by acknowledging all of these barriers and all of these negative perceptions that we have as a society, as a culture, the things that we are doing every single day that hold women back. So if you are at a position in a company, make sure you interview as many women as you do men. Make sure you're seeing as many female resumes as you are male. Look around you. Count how many women are in the meeting that you're in, okay? One of the favorite stats that I have from this episode of Freakonomics, though, is that when they did the research, when they didn't involve just poorly performing companies and women and then they were later let go and replaced by men, when they just look at companies who have women at the director level, C-suite level, when they have women leaders in the company, they're always more profitable have higher revenues, and are a more healthy business than those without. And if you happen to work for a company that has a lot of women at the leadership in the leadership positions, you know the difference, bar none. It's marketably different. Now, most of us haven't experienced that because, as mentioned, there are only 5.4% at the top. There are hardly any women to begin with. But those that know that women need to be in those positions, the best companies, the smartest companies, the ones that are most profitable, have women. This is just a basic way to remember this. But I mean, you know, just think about how did we all get here. Like we all came the same way, you know, 
So the fact that we're at 5.4% and we, we are still fighting for this is incredibly important and it's noteworthy and it's something that everybody needs to be attacking every single day. Man, woman, every single day, you need to do something to go out of your way to uplift another female. Give a compliment, hold the door, say hello. I don't care what you do. Hire her, look at a resume. We're not balanced in this way and we're losing out on all of this great talent. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're going to have, you know, you're going to tell your mother, your sister, your daughter, you're going to tell all of them that they're not going to, they're only going to get 5% of the opportunity in this world. It's ludicrous and not the cool kind, not the rap guy. So in conclusion, I would like to ask, what are you going to do today? What's going to be your contribution? We need a societal shift. We all have power in this way. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to react? How are you going to change things? Because your natural biases and those that are holding us back as a gender are impacting your life every single day in the lives of women around you and the girls that are growing up now. And I don't want to have to tell them this same message. You know, the girls that are being born today, I don't want them, I don't want this podcast to be relatable to them. I want it to be better for them so we can all do our part to do more good for more people, more women most of the time. All right, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with me through that very passionate endeavor. I am so excited to have shared that with you. And it has a really, really big part of my life involved uh, with my career. So I really wanted to be able to explain what I went through with you guys. So thank you so much for listening to my life and my perspective. And I really believe in all of you. And I hear you and I see you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the support. It means the world to me. I can sleep so much better at night knowing that I've helped just, you know, a few people who have reached out to me and said, you know, I like this or I use this quote. I just, I'm beyond. So thank you guys so, so, so much. And please, please subscribe, rate. Best thing you can do is leave me a review. Please, please. I would appreciate it so very much. And I will be back next week with more good for more people most of the time. Thank you. Bye. As promised, this week's podcast recommendation is none other than Mrs. Chris Boyd. That's Chris K-R-O-I-S Boyd, B-O-Y-D. Her podcast is Think on K-E-R-A. I've covered this podcast before because it is the shit. Chris Boyd is amazing. Her brain is is amazing. Listen to her show. She has a local show. It's only in Texas. So if you are outside of Texas, you've never even heard this. You need to go get it on um, iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. I will link it in the show notes. Chris Boyd is a genius. She will make you smarter. She'll make you better. She'll make you nicer. She's the best. So um, in the theme of lifting, uplifting other women, oh God, Chris Boyd, I love you. You guys got to listen. That's all. Bye.